Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Mixed Martial Analysis where we're just kind of going to be bullshitting about some of the recent developments surrounding UFC 249. Obviously the big breaking news is that Dana White announced on social media that Justin Gaethje is going to be stepping in to fight Tony Ferguson at UFC 249 on April 18th. Uh, location, who knows, they're not announcing it right. I I've read that even like the fighters haven't been informed about where the fight's actually going to be. Um, rumors about it being somewhere on the West Coast, right? Somewhere in California. And my guess would be, and I think I saw something about this on social media too, but my guess would be that this is going to happen on an Indian reservation, right? I don't even know all the laws surrounding all of it, but I'm just going to guess that the Indian tribes have, with their land, have some, the UFC is going to find some, some sort of loophole to be able to get in there and pull this off, right? Um, a lot of people think that it should, the event should have just been called off altogether, and I've got mixed feelings about it, right? Because on paper, or not on paper even, like, when you look at it initially, that does seem like the right thing to do. And I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not even saying that it's, maybe it is, I don't know, but if you put stringent testing in place, right, um, and you make sure that you follow all the guidelines, and every fighter is tested and everybody that's going to be going into the facility and participating in the event gets testing and it has it and you can confirm that nobody has it right um in theory that should mean that the disease shouldn't be able to spread right if nobody has it i'm assuming right i mean i know that you can spread it without having symptoms or whatever but if you are officially tested and don't have it the event should be okay to move forward and fighting is one of those things where it's not like you only need two of them you only need two guys to go at it. It's not like five, it's not like basketball even where it's five on five, you know what I mean, or football where it's 11 on 11. You just need two guys. And really, I mean, I know they've got a team of cornermen, but if you wanted to be extreme about it, just put a lead corner guy out there and let him take care of it and a cut man, right? You're going to need a cut man. But, I mean, I feel like – and they also go back to their respective corners, right? Like – so there's going to be distance between the corners. And I feel like fighting is one of the sports where you kind of can make it happen. Like if you really do abide by everything, you might be able to pull this thing off. The, the question is still like the travel. You would have to like – I wonder if they're going to have to pick these fighters up on like a private jet because there's no way they're going to be able to fly public, right? Like no fucking way. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to go on for transportation for them. <sighs> Man, it, it, it's crazy. I, I can I, – like when you start thinking about stuff like that, you realize how much the UFC must be scrambling, right? But – before we get into, I don't want to go down the moral hole of whether this fight should be happening too much, but I also think just one thing to consider, because I'm kind of on the fence about it too, right? Like, because I'm aware that this disease is dangerous, and I'm aware that, like, even if you take all the necessary precautions, you could still slip up somehow, right? Like, maybe somebody that's been there actually has been in contact with someone, and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't fucking know, right? I don't know what the answer is. But you've got to think that fighting is different from other sports too, and that, like, when people sign contracts in the NFL, I mean, they're, they, they, they get paid to play a season. Fighters aren't even guaranteed with you factor in injuries and everything else. They're not even guaranteed to fight once every year. I mean, don't get me wrong. And I would say the average fight for a professional fight, like in the UFC level or like a Bellator level, is probably like three to four times a year. You get some that are way more active than that, some that are less active than that, some due to injury, some due to visa issues, blah 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 blah. Right. But the point is, is that like it's hard to, and it's hard sometimes, and and not only. It, <laughs> Not only is it hard to get fights booked, but it's really fucking hard to win at this level. And you don't get paid a lot. I mean, I, I might be misremembering this, but I think that I saw one time that TJ Dillashaw at UFC 200 got paid 25000 to show and 25000 to win. 
TJ Dillashaw. One, I mean, regardless of his steroid use, one of the most – that always just stuck out to me. And I, if, if I'm wrong on that, please correct me. And I know they get sponsorship money, et cetera, et cetera, right? But my point is that these fighters, they're not guaranteed a 16-game schedule where unless they get injured, they're guaranteed to play. You know what I mean? It's not like that. Your opponent – there's so many more variables in MMA, so you got to take what you can get. You're paying nutritionists. You're paying camps. I mean – it's a lot. To, they're probably stressing about shit, man. They don't make a ton of money. And this isn't so much when you, when you guys are thinking about this, don't think so much about the guys at the top where you're like, oh, they're fine. Tony Ferguson's probably fine. Justin Gaethje's probably fine. They got money. Yeah, but the guys towards the bottom that are going to be on the prelims and that are going to be, you know, putting on a show for, with, in a fanless arena, you know, they're not going to make a ton of money. So they, but, and they need this. You know what I mean? So it's a complicated situation. And if you're the UFC, like, it, it you've got this moral conundrum where you've got this virus and you maybe shouldn't be doing live events, but you've also got these fighters and they got to feed their families. They do this for a living, man. You can't, I don't think you can be successful at the UFC level if you don't have your life committed to it. Like you've got to almost quit your day job to be successful in the UFC anymore. It's just so high level. So they're putting their lives into this and the only way they have to get paid, it's not like they can just be like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, not all these guys can just be like, Oh, I'm going to fall back on my bachelor's degree and go back and just get a job. And then, public sector and help out until this is all over and then i'll go back to fighting like no that's not how it works for these guys man a lot of these put everything they had into it so you know it's those guys that you got to think about those guys on the undercard that are trying to make their name i'm just saying keep that in mind keep that in mind when you're thinking about all this because they're stressed as fuck trying to pay their bills whatever trying to make it trying to prove that they're the best in the world you know it's the little guys you got to worry about that's why i always try to buy pay-per-views and i know that the stars get a chunk of it right but like it's just the right thing to do pay for the shit so that they get a cut at least right um i don't know anyway i went on a tangent there let's talk about the actual justin versus tony fight and it's a great matchup because obviously everybody is clamoring for habib versus tony and that's a fight that you want to see right like it, it, i think that those are the two undisputed best fighters in the division right now but if it's not habib versus tony that you want to see um Gaethje versus Ferguson is a true number one contender's bout. I don't think that anybody right now disputes that Habib Nurmagomedov is the best 155-pounder in the world as of right now. Until Tony Ferguson, if he would have proven otherwise had the event taken place, right? I don't – I mean, until he proves that, you have to consider Habib the best. And that's not proven yet, and Habib can't participate. So the next best thing you can do is throw together Justin – Gaethje and Tony Ferguson. I think those are the two that – and, I mean, Connor's obviously in the mix, right? He's definitely in there after what he did to Cowboy, and I know he got mauled by Habib, but, like, Habib does it to everyone, man. So, Connor's in the mix, but I think that Gaethje has done just as much as Connor to earn it, and if he beats Ferguson, it really solidifies his chance at a crack at Habib. And I know that, like, there's just this thing about Habib and Tony where you want to see it happen, right? Because Tony's style is so wild, and he's got crazy cardio, and, like, you wonder if he – when you see Habib like take these breaks and off the stand on the feet, you wonder if Tony's going to be pressing in them in those situations and maybe he gets tired and Habib's shots aren't as, you know, they don't have as much power. That's like, that's what makes that matchup so exciting. But I mean, this isn't bad either, right? Cause you're going to have to, and the reason I think that this fight works is just because like, these aren't people that require a crowd like Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. I don't necessarily think require a crowd to fight. Like, I think they go in there and they're just going to duke it out. They're just fighters. Like, a lot of the guys are. A lot, most fighters are fighters at heart, right? Like I said that on my last podcast. But 
Um, like, not I, I don't want to say that Connor's not a true fighter because he is. He's an ex- incredibly skilled martial artist. But like, part of what makes a Connor McGregor fight so exciting is when he walks out and the fans are going fucking crazy because he's got such a massive following. And I'm not saying that Habib doesn't. I'm not. But it's not the same thing as Connor, right? And like, or I'm not saying. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not saying that Tony doesn't. Right, like Tony has a following, and he's got that Mexican heritage and all that, but uh, it's not the same thing as Connor, and neither is the following for Gaethje. So the crowd isn't necessarily as important in this particular fight, right? Because you've got these two guys who are just going to go in there and duke it out. They're both fucking crazy, and I think that when you look at like Justin Gaethje's game plan, it seems to be pretty fucking consistent in every single fight. Like it's march forward, throw your hands, you know what I mean, and just he's wild, he's crazy, he throws crazy shit. So I don't think that Justin, as long as he's been keeping himself in shape and as long as he can get to the weight okay and as long as him and his camp feel good about it, I mean, he trains out here in Denver, so he's always training at elevation. So you know Justin's in shape all the fucking time, right? He's got a wrestling background so that you know that his cardio is good and you know that Tony's cardio is good. So I don't uh, – the thing – like you hear Eddie Bravo talking about how they've got some specific traps for Habib on the ground, and now it's like you can almost just – not worry about that as much because Justin is so willing to stand on the feet and if the fight takes place there you can kind of just let Tony open up his creativity on the feet you know what I mean it's not some you don't have you you don't have to worry about the wrestling threat as much and Tony's great on the feet so you just get this slugfest and like I don't know I mean obviously preparation helps everybody right and there are things you can do to I just feel like on fight night Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson both of those guys are guys that come at you with things that you've never seen before. And a lot of the game planning that you might've done is probably out the fucking window. Do you know what I mean? So like when they collide in this matchup, the fact that it's on short notice isn't as big of a deal. Do I think you would get a little bit of a cleaner product and a more real realistic idea of what happened if you let it, if you let them train for each other for eight weeks? Yeah. Like if they could specifically game plan for each other. Yeah. I think you'd see, cause Tony probably would have focused on his standup a little bit more, right? Cause his jujitsu is already so good, but one thing to consider though in this fight is you got to look at Tony Ferguson in fights against like Kevin Lee who's a a good wrestler and like who who, he was taken down by him and like I don't want to say easily but with relative ease like Kevin Lee got it to the ground he mounted Tony at one point so you got to wonder if Justin is looking at that at all right and you wonder that every single fight and it's like he goes into it and it's just like oh nope guess not guess he's not leaning on it he's just gonna go to fucking war he's gonna smash you with leg kicks and bring the overhand right and just fucking unload on you but he's always got it in his back pocket and i think that's what makes him such an intimidating opponent for guys is that he's always marching forward he throws crazy and he kind of like he always tucks his head and just like he'll let you punch him in the forehead right (laughs) so like He's willing to take damage to give it back, and I think Tony Ferguson's like that. As far this is a great fucking matchup, and it's a true number one contenders fight. And I think that you're going to get pretty close to what the real product would be at a training camp, right? I mean, the only thing that you got to worry about is Justin's conditioning. Like I said, I don't know what he's been doing in the offs. Like since he doesn't have a fight announced, I don't know if he's been staying ready in case something fell out with this fight. Because I mean, let's be honest, Habib versus Tony has fallen apart four times. If you're a number one contender in that division, aren't you thinking, all right? Yeah, I mean, there's a very good possibility this fight isn't going to happen, and here we are, right? you got to have a little I, – I hope that he did, and, you know, I'm a fan of Justin Gaethje. So I'm hoping that we're going to get the best of both of these guys on this night, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a barn burner of a fight, man. There are just 
so many different ways I feel like it could go. Like you could see Justin clipping Tony and putting Tony in trouble and Tony like putting a pace on Justin maybe like and maybe or vice versa. I mean, that's what I mean. It's all going to be about like who I, I the thing. It's like you got complete chaos with Justin Gage and he's just coming in and he's swinging for the fucking fences, man. And not that he's not technical, but like he his leg kicks come at weird angles and stuff. He's just so unorthodox. And like so is Tony. They've just got these like different types of like movements and ways of doing things and it's i feel like whoever it's just going to be about who has that gap in their game you know like who's like i don't know because you see tony ferguson get clipped sometimes by guys like anthony pettis and he's been hurt before right like in different fights um and you gotta wonder like justin gage proved that he kind of he has like one punch knockout power man like what he did to barboza and what he did to james vick like but, I mean, not that Anthony Pettis doesn't, right? Anthony Pettis has a highlight reel of his own and his knockout of Wonderboy. I mean, so you got to wonder, though, if, like, Gagey connects with something like that and with his wrestling background and if he gets to swarm Tony, you know. Is he, and, he, I mean, Tony Ferguson got dropped against Kevin Lee, too. So Tony Ferguson's been dropped before. It's just like Tony is just the, what makes him so fucking great and makes him stand out above other people is his willingness to not give up. And I think that guys like not that he's I mean, there are, there are fights that he completely dominates. Right. But he'll get into a war with you. And when you get into a battle of attrition with him, it's like you never win. You never win. You literally have to put his lights out in order, like you have to put him to sleep or knock him out in order to beat him. And that's what makes it so fucking difficult, because if you let him hang around just a little bit, like if he can cling on to a little bit of life he's going to fucking keep fighting and it, you're going to exhaust yourself in an effort to finish him. And if you don't pull it off, man, he's going to get back up and he just doesn't fucking get tired. Five rounds. Doesn't matter. He'll just march you down. Like he, he's it, it's his cardio is insane. And it's like, you can just see that guys are starting to back up and they're like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, this guy is marching me down, throwing strikes from angles. I've never seen before clipping me with elbows, throwing fucking crazy shit. You know, it's, it, as rounds wear on, he's very hard to deal with. And, you know, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited, like, as a fan, how could you not be? Like, just to have – and as a business move, by the way, this is a great idea by Dana White because he's going to dominate the market because there are no live sports on. When you're the only live sport on TV, you're going to dominate. I mean, it's going to draw so many new fans in. It's such a brilliant idea. And I saw – and I don't know if this is correct, but I saw that he said live on ESPN on Instagram – and I don't really know how to interpret that because below it, it says it's going to be on pay-per-view. I mean, it's a numbered UFC event, UFC 249. I'm guessing it's a pay-per-view. But if you're Dana White and you're trying to do, like, the public just a service, and especially it's an interim fight now, man, it would be amazing if you put it on ESPN. Let people watch that fucking shit for free. Everybody will watch it. It's a great, it's a great fucking fight for – because you know that no matter what, whether it ends in a knockout, whether it ends early or not, you know that these are two guys that are come. They're gonna come to go to war, right? So I mean, fuck you, aired on ESPN. You might gain a whole new following because of that fight alone. And whoever wins that fight, the fight against Habib is gonna be even bigger then, right? And you've got to be a little bit nervous if you're Justin, just because Conor McGregor's in the mix. And there was so much hype around like Habib and Tony, right? And I'm just rambling here. I'm sorry, but there's so much hype about around like to be Habib and Tony and all that, right? Say Justin goes in and beats Tony. In my mind, there's no fucking way that Connor gets a rematch with Habib before Justin gets to fight Habib after that. It's for the interim title, right? But the UFC is, I mean, 
crazier shit's happened. You know what I mean? It's just like, I would imagine though that the winner of this fight is going to fight Habib. So you're, you need to like, I know you're excited to be Habib, like see Habib and Tony, but the winner of this fight is who truly deserves to fight Habib is how I'm trying to view it. And I'm not saying that Tony doesn't deserve it now. As of right now, as things are, Tony Ferguson undoubtedly deserves the fight against Habib more than anyone in the world. But if Habib can't fight and if Tony wants to fight, then it makes perfect sense for Justin Gaethje to step in because they're going to have to settle it at some point anyway. And if Tony were to lose, Justin's the true contender. You know what I mean? And if Tony wins, then he's proven, okay, yeah, I mean, I'm going to fight Habib. It's just like, it's such a fucked up situation, man. I can't believe that they've booked that fight five times now and it's falling apart every time. And like, it's like the score is even, right? Like twice it was Habib, twice it was Tony. And now once it's some external factor that none of them really have control over. It's just so fucking nuts. And I've kind of, I've flip-flopped my stance on this so much. I mean, I've gone back and forth, but I really felt like, the right thing to do a few days ago was to put off the, the event completely and just postpone it all and just announce Tony and Habib when everything's ready, make it the first fucking event. And then I think like, well, I started thinking about some of the guys on the undercard and some of the guys that need to get paid. And I'm like, well, damn, man, I'd be stressed as fuck if I was in their situation. You got a $1,200 stimulus check coming, what, three fucking weeks from now? I mean, shit. I don't know. What's that going to do? Like, what, what, other, what other methods of earning money do a lot of these guys have? You know, they might fight three times a year, make $75,000 or some shit like that, and that's their salary, right? Like I said, they got promotions and blah, 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 but when you're not fighting, it's rough. It's rough. And, I mean, the faster you prove yourself, the faster you accelerate through the division and start making more money and start talking about, like, top 10, top 50, blah, 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 right? Ugh. I don't know, man. I I truly don't know what the right thing to do is, but I'm excited that a fight is happening nonetheless. So, all right. Another news. I saw that uh, Cody Garbrandt is planning to drop down to 125. And, I mean, Cody is such such an odd story in that he, he had, like, a meteoric rise and then goes in and doesn't just beat the consensus greatest bantamweight of all time at the time in dominant Cruz, but he dominates him. I mean, batters him, boxes him up for five fucking rounds, right? And then he goes in and fights TJ Dillashaw next. And he drops Dillashaw and he hurts him. And then he gets knocked out by Dillashaw, right? So it's like, and then he goes and he rematches Dillashaw, gets knocked out again, in a fight where he threw, like, the same combination. You could just tell that he was headhunting. I hated that fucking fight for Cody. I hated it because TJ is just so much more, like, experienced. And Cody's more green in the MMA game. You know what I mean? And especially at that point in time, like, trying to earn back the title and you hate this fucking guy and you ugh, he just knocked you out and you're going to be you're going to be trying to go for his fucking head, man. And I hated it. I just felt like Cody needed another fight. And then he gets knocked out by Pedro Munoz. Right? So he's it's like I think a lot of the guys when when they start struggling in their career at some point the obvious question that you start asking yourself is am I in the wrong fucking weight class are these guys too big for me you know what I mean am I too small am I too like am I too big for this weight class is it slowing me down and these guys are dotting me up and my cardio is not getting me anywhere like do I need to go down do I need to go up am I going to have more power if I go up like I don't I, <laughs> The thing with, like, 
implementing weight classes every 10 pounds too is not just that it gives fighters like it it gives them more options and then they can truly settle into the weight class that they really fucking belong at you know what i mean like so many guys are caught thinking like so many guys you shouldn't they shouldn't be like you should be able to find out what your weight class is and where you feel good at within a couple of fights i would think right like it seems like these guys have this like inner battle with themselves about whether they're actually in the right weight class right and then you got to wonder where your headspace is at when you're going into that like if another guy feels great at 185 but you're kind of like god damn this weight kind of sucks cock like when i go in saturday night i feel fucking exhausted and i'm fighting a guy who feels great he's built for this weight class but i kind of feel like i'm more suited for like you know 175 or, or like 195 pounds but if i jump up to 205 pounds Oh my God, now I'm fighting John Jones and he walks around at 235 pounds, 240. I'm not that fucking big. It's, so you get guys, and I think Chris Weidman is kind of an example of this, right? Where he would be, he'd probably be pretty good for like a 195 pound weight class. And Diego Sanchez at 165. And all these, you can point to a bunch. Kevin Lee, I think, is a 165er. Uh, you point to all these different examples of these guys who could like, fight at their maximum potential at these weight classes and to me that's the biggest reason for implementing it fighter safety is fighter safety is paramount that's number one but number two is so that you get the most realistic you 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 want the best product and don't you want your fighters i think a little bit of weight cutting is healthy i think they've proven that healthy weight cutting improves like your vo2 max and i feel like winning that first battle probably is like a mental thing but it shouldn't be taxing you to the point where you are i mean completely feeling off on fight night you know so i forget what my fucking initial point was with this whole thing even oh cody garbrandt moving down in weight i feel like i'm not saying that it's not the answer maybe it is maybe when he moves down to 125 he finds it and he's like i should have been here the whole goddamn time this weight cut wasn't all that bad you know i've been watching my weight i think he says he eats pretty he's pretty lax about what he eats and stuff because he's you know i think he's pretty I think he can pull it off. The question is, how is he going to feel? And I just, you every time this comes up, you just have to wonder, is this guy hunting for, well, but Cody's in a position though, where he has room to like, he has room to move around, right? Like, I understand that the gap between like 125 and 135, 10 pounds is pretty big when you're that small, but like Cody does have that option to float to either one, right? I just got way off fucking topic, but it, it's not like Cody can't knock guys out at 135. It's just like little things that I feel like need tweaked in Cody's game. I don't think that he's incapable of hanging around with a guy like Tony Cejudo on the feet or Tony C- Henry Cejudo on the feet. I don't think he is. I, I, I think that he could, I think he, his boxing is so goddamn crisp and is, he has so much power. Like if he clips you, it doesn't matter who you are. You can go to sleep. You know what I mean? Or he can at least stun you and he's got pretty good wrestling I'm not saying that Cody Garbrandt beats Henry Cejudo. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, like, if they get into a boxing match, Cody Garbrandt has elite boxing, especially in MMA terms. So, I mean, I I, I don't want to see him go down and then there be this, like, depleted product where maybe he doesn't have as much knockout power. And that's something that is, like, important for Cody. And not that, like, I mean, he obviously has good cardio. You saw that against Dominic Cruz in the five-round fight, right? But you really... I feel like 135 is not – I feel like cutting 10 more pounds isn't the move for Cody. But I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I, I thought that Jose shouldn't move to 135, and I think I was wrong about that too. So what the fuck do I know? Um, all right. 
speaking of the 135 pound weight class, TJ Dillashaw says that a title shot is on the line when he returns. And, uh, I don't know. I didn't read through the full article. Admittedly, I just saw the headline. But Tony or TJ Dillashaw is when you look at the 135 pound division too. I mean, they're talking about giving Jose Aldo a title fight, right? That's very, uh, that's very hotly de- hotly debated. And then they're talking about giving uh, uh, Dominic Cruz a title fight. And Dominic Cruz has been out for a while. And you've got guys like Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sandhagen, who for like whatever reason. They just don't deem them to be title worthy, but you know, I don't know. It's a shame because those are the, those three guys are really the workhorses of that division. You know what I mean? They're the ones putting in the work and going out and still winning the fights. Whereas like TJ, the fact that he could come back and potentially get a title shot. I mean, the guy, I love TJ Dillashaw weirdly. Like I, I don't love what he did. I hate it as a fan. I was so fucking disappointed, but I love watching him fight. I think he's like, if you, I always say this, if you had to build a build, if you had to build a fighter from the bottom up, like what give him re- wrestling striking, it's, it would be TJ Dillashaw for me. Cardio. I mean, that might be because of the fucking steroids, but you know what I mean? It, cardio technique, everything is just so perfect. And I love his timing on everything and the way he sets things up. And like, and I, I feel like he's a workhorse. I feel like he constantly is in the fucking gym hammering shit out. Like, I feel like he lives for fighting. Like every time you see, you know what I mean? He's, a, he's very passionate about it. And I feel like his passion just it carried him a little too far. Like some people want to win so goddamn bad that they just can't let it go. But to me, in my personal opinion, like I said, I'm a TJ Dillashaw fan. I like him. I want to be on his side. I want him to do better. I don't want him to cheat. I don't want him. I want to see him fight again. But to me, I would give it to like a Piotr Jan or an Aljamain Sterling or like a Corey Sandhagen before I would give it to TJ again. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know, just because I'm, I, I'm a purist in that way, and like, but I'm not a businessman. Like TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt, those are bigger faces in that division. Like people know them a little bit better, right? But uh, like it's not very – no offense to any of those guys. Like I said, I think they're the most deserving, but like – you announce Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. How many people are really going to tune in? I'm not being a dick. I think Aljamain Sterling's one of the fucking. I, I think that 135 pound weight class is criminally disrespected, like it, especially in terms of its depth. It's not. It, I think it's behind 155. I think it's the second best and deepest division in the UFC. Um, I don't know why the fighters there don't get more love, and I think they're starting to. I think that, like, as MMA grows, people are starting to realize, like, oh, fuck, these little guys are fun to watch fight, right? But I don't know. It feels weird that TJ Dillashaw, after what he did, should be able to come back and get a title shot over any of those guys. And I know that they're in this weird, like, limbo place where it doesn't feel like they're, for whatever reason, quite ready for the title shot, but they seem more deserving to me than Dominic Cruz or TJ is my whole point with that fucking rant that I just went on. But, um... I think that's most of what I wanted to talk about today. Mainly, I'm like I said, I, I think the rest of the card is still intact for UFC 249. I'm on MMA Junkie right now. I'm going to see if they updated the site at all. Uh, it still says to be determined on here. But like Jessica and- Andrade and Rose Namajunas, Ma- Magomed Ankalaev and Jan Kutaleba are rematching after that fucking weird stoppage where Jan played possum, right? And then the ref called it. Alexander Hernandez and Islam Makachev, Calvin Cater and Jeremy Stevens. This is all if this fight stays intact, right? Bilal Muhammad's on this card. Kama Worthy, who's from Pittsburgh. Ben Rothwell, Jacare Souza, and Uriah Hall. I mean, this card, there's a lot of great fights on this card. If it stays just the way it is, it's going to be an exciting night of fights. Um, like I said, not fucking sure whether they're putting it on pay-per-view 
or whether they are airing it on ESPN. I was confused by Dana White's post. I'm guessing that it's going to be pay-per-view, but who the fuck knows what the current state of affairs, you know? Uh, anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, if you guys don't mind, hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Leave comments. Uh, let me know what you guys think about everything going on, whether this event should be happening, you know? Let, hit me with your opinion. Um, if you are listening on a podcast provider, whether you get it from Apple or Spotify, wherever the fuck you get your podcast from, you can find us on YouTube. And if you're listening on YouTube, you can obviously find us on any of the major platforms for podcasting. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I appreciate it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to breaking these fights down next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.